1968, a young socialite was abducted from her motel room. The criminals took her to the middle of a forest and then buried her alive in a human aquarium, staying there until the family paid the half a million dollars ransom. It was a race against time, one of the highest profile kidnappings cases in the United States history. Today, I will explore the kidnapping of Barbara Mako. Hello everyone, I hope you are doing all right. I'm Fabio Carvalho and this is the Mystery Archive Project. Follow us on the streaming platform you are listening to now to receive notification whenever a new episode comes out. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. Now, let's have a good look in today's case. Today's story will talk about the kidnapping of Barbara Mako. At the time, late 1968, she was 20 years old, studying economics at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. She was dating a boy named Stuart Hunt Woodward and was the daughter of Jane and Robert Mako. They were millionaires and lived in Miami, Florida. Robert owned the Deltona Corporation, one of the largest family-run real estate constructions companies in the United States. He was also a friend of Richard Nixon, who was soon to become president of the country, having built a property that would serve as Nixon's winter White House. So, Barbara was from a very well-connected family. In December of that year, several people were getting a very bad flu, known as the Hong Kong flu. Barbara was one of those who had the flu. December was X amount at college, so she was going through a very difficult time trying to juggle her studies and her health. Her mother Jane decided to leave Miami and go to Atlanta to help her with food and housework while she concentrated on her studies. Then, on December 3rd, Jane rented a motor room and Barbara left the student residence. Two weeks later, on December 17th, at 3 a.m., someone knocked on the motel room door. Jane came to the door and asked who it was. A man's voice replied saying Barbara's boyfriend was involved in a car accident and he was in the hospital now. She saw that the man was dressed in police clothes and decided it was safe to open the door. When the man entered, he pointed a gun at Jane. Another much smaller man entered the room behind him. They attacked her using a cloth with chloroform, a chemical that quickly makes a person unconscious. With all the noise, Barbara woke up. They tied Jane up gagged her and pulled Barbara to a car that was parked outside. They took her to the middle of a forest that was more than 30 kilometers away. There, the men took her out of the car and led her to a grave. Inside was a kind of aquarium the size of a person. Barbara realized that she would be placed alive in that hole. 
When she looked at what was in that glass box, she saw a blanket, a sweater, a small fan, air vents, sanitary, supplies, a small light, water, and food. Unbeknownst to her, the water had sedatives in it to make her sleep most of the time. The men then calmly explained what was going on. They said they wouldn't hurt her, they just wanted money from her family. It was a kidnapping and, as she thought, she had to get into that box. Barbara said that she would get the money right away and begged not to go into that box. As she was not cooperating, the men again used the cloth with chloroform trying to make her pass out. As part of the chloroform had already been evaporated, it was no longer as efficient and just caused Barbara to come down but not pass out. They laid her down in the glass cage and took a picture of her holding a sign that read kidnapped. They demanded she smile for the picture so that her parents would know from seeing it that she was still alive. After it was taken, they closed the cage and began to cover it with sand. Inside the box, the kidnappers left a written note with a detailed set of instructions for her to follow. The note started with Do not be alarmed. You are safe. You are presently inside a fiberglass reinforced playwood capsule buried beneath the ground near the house in which your kidnappers are staying. Your status will be checked approximately every two hours. This note is very extensive, including warns of fail-safe measures installed to prevent Barbara from attempting to break out of the cage, even down to a box of candy left there to give her energy. You can read the full note in the link in the description. After a few hours in the motor room, Jane woke up. She managed to free herself and immediately called the police. Then her husband Robert in Florida and finally Stewart, who told her he was never had been in an accident. Barbara's father contacted the FBI directly. On the morning of the same day, the criminal called Robert's house in Miami. He explained Barbara was in a box underground and he wanted half a million dollars to tell him her location. He also told him not to involve the police and for the kidnapper to know that Robert accepted his terms, he should announce in all the newspapers the following day the message. My love, please come home. We will pay all expenses and meet you anywhere, anytime. Signed, your family. Robert obeyed all instructions. The next day, December 18th, after Barbara had spent practically 30 hours buried with a bad dose of Hong Kong flu without medical treatment, the kidnappers saw the notes in the newspaper and returned to Robert to explain their requirements for the payment and the rescue. The half a million dollars should be in cash $20 bills only, and the address was given to him. 
Robert went to several banks to try to withdraw the amount, but it was almost impossible to withdraw $500,000 in a single place without prior notice and in $20 notes. For you guys to have an idea of what this value represents, today it is equivalent to about $3.5 million. Robert wrote down the serial numbers of the 25,000 notes so that, in the future, he could track the kidnappers. Later in the afternoon, after having trouble trying to find the exact location that kidnapper had informed him of, Robert finally managed to leave the briefcase in the right spot. Minutes later, a man appeared, took the money and left. As this man walked towards a car, he saw some police nearby and, scared, decided to run. They were the local Miami police, not the FBI, and with the suspicious attitude and not knowing what was going on, the police began to chase the suspect, who during the escape dropped his suitcase and managed to flee through the trees in the middle of the forest. The police couldn't find him, but they returned to search the car and inside they found a photo of Barbara holding the kidnapped sign. Tracking information from the vehicle, the police identified the owner as Gary Stephen Christ, 23 years old, and found a key to a motor room that was the same motel where Barbara was staying when she was kidnapped. In the motel's registry, the record was in the name of another man, soon discovered to be a false name, and a 26-year-old woman named Ruth Asman Shear. This woman, in fact, was the accomplice of the kidnapping who at the dawn on the 17th had disguised herself as a man to hide possible future searches, but she committed the simple failure of giving her real name at the motel's check-in. Gary had already been arrested for previous crimes and was currently on the run. He had worked at the Marine Science Institute in Miami and because of that he had knowledge in building high-strength aquariums. There, at the institute, the police found a design of a human aquarium plus information about the battery-based ventilation system. Since the police and FBI didn't know anything, they assumed that Barbara had simply been buried alive. Ruth was a biologist, born in Honduras, who spoke English, Spanish, German and French, and never had any involvement with police until she fell in love with Gary. The two together, without realizing it, engineered the most famous kidnapping in the United States until that date. Gary was now the FBI's second most wanted fugitive, and Ruth the first woman to ever make the FBI most wanted list. The next day, the 19th, after Barbara had spent approximately 55 hours buried, her family received an envelope with the same photo that the police had found in the car. Desperate, Robert paid newspapers and radios to report that he had not notified the police that this was a misunderstanding and had followed all previously agreed-upon instructions. He just wanted his daughter back and was willing to make another rescue, paying 
all the money again. Gary heard the message on the radio and at 10.35 p.m. he called Robert again, saying he heard Robert's message and would give him one more chance, but again, he couldn't involve the police. After Gary got the case, a new call would be done for tell him where Barbara was. That same day, Gary successfully managed to get the ransom money. Robert waited for the new call, which actually never came to him directly. In the early morning of 20th, with Barbara buried almost 80 hours, Gary called to a telephone exchange and spoke directly to a telephone operator. Gary said he was the kidnapper everybody was looking for and gave the operator the address where Barbara was. After that, he hung up the call. The operator wrote down the information and immediately called the police. On the spot, the police were calling for Barbara and one of them could hear a very muffled knocking noise coming from the ground. Then they started digging, but listen to this. They knew Barbara was buried, and they didn't take even simple digging equipment like a shovel, for example. Nothing. They had to use their hands to save the girl, and after about 15 minutes of digging, they finally hit the glass off the box. While a police team rescued Barbara, another team went out in search of the kidnappers. That same afternoon, the police received a call from a boat sailor saying he just had a pretty weird situation when a man showed up and bought one of his boats for $2,240 in cash only using $20 bills. The police went there and with a serial number from the bills, they discovered that the buyer really was Gary. As he had bought a boat and had already gone out with it, it was harder to know where he had stopped. But on one of the nearby island, the police found the boat and inside it a briefcase with several $20 bills. So it was clear that Gary was close. Looking for him all night in the middle of that island, he was finally found and surrendered. Now, the search was for Ruth. She managed to escape without leaving a trace. However, in February 1969, two months later, Ruth was hired to work at the hospital in Oklahoma. The hiring process included copying documents and reading fingerprints that were sent to a database for general analysis. She didn't know that this information would be sent elsewhere. So, on the 3rd of March, they managed to make the capture. Gary, raised in Alaska, started stealing at age 9. At age 14, he was convicted of a car thief and placed in a Utah juvenile facility, but he didn't stay long. At age 18, he returned to prison California for trying to steal another car. While in prison, he planned the perfect crime, locating and kidnapping an heir. He worked on how to communicate with the family and where to hide the victim while waiting for the money. He managed to escape prison by climbing the wall. With a very high IQ and a fake ID, 
he got a job as a research assistant at the Marine Science Institute in Miami. In 1968, aged 23, he carried out this kidnapping. In May, the trial of the two was held. Gary was sentenced to life imprisonment for planning and executing the abduction, in addition to the desperate conditions Barbara was exposed to. He got parole after 10 years in prison and was able to study medicine in Indiana. In 2006, he was arrested for drug trafficking after sealing off the coast of Alabama with approximately $1 million of cocaine and four illegal immigrants. Ruth managed to prove that she and Gary had broken up after the first rescue attempt and had failed. Actually, she also didn't take any ransom money. Given this, she only got seven years for participating in the execution of the kidnapping. After four years serving her sentence, she was granted parole and upon leaving was immediately deported to Honduras, her country of origin, in addition to being barred from entering the United States for 50 years. Barbara married her college boyfriend Stuart, they had two children and stayed together until his death in 2013. Barbara is now 75 years old and she's doing fine. She never came out publicly to talk about the kidnapping. The only official thing on her part was a book she herself wrote that was released in 1971. The book is called 83 Hours Till Dawn. In the book, she tells what she felt during this period, the positive thoughts, the patience, and everything she had to do to survive. What if it was you? Could you stand to stay this longer buried in a box like Barbara was? Others on social network and leave your comment. See you in the next case. Well, guys, that was today's case. Share this episode with your friends and help our channel grow. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. I see you in the next case. Que tal um drinkzinho hoje? O Drink com Crime é um podcast semanal que conta casos de crimes reais, sempre acompanhado de bons drinks. Temos uma coletânea de casos selecionados pelas nossas sommeliers de True Crime. E toda terça-feira tem um episódio novo para vocês. Estamos em todas as plataformas de podcast. Venha apreciar os melhores casos e bons drinks com a gente.